Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. When Jesus commissioned his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, he admonished them saying, Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worthy of his support. In giving this order, Jesus reflected his father's instruction in Deuteronomy. The word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may observe it. If the word is near you in Matthew, it means that you already have what you need for the journey. If the word is near you, you do not need a city or a village in order to survive. I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments and His statutes and His judgments that you may live and multiply and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. If the disciples have everything that they need to live and multiply, why do they doubt Jesus? Why do they want to send the people away? Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 13 to 21. You're listening to the Bible as literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 312 of the Bible as Literature podcast. We have come to the Methan rendering of the feeding of the 5,000. It's interesting always, Richard, to go through these texts and to see the specific nuances that the author presents. It's very important to remember when you're reading scripture that while on the one hand, it's a unified, systematic text. Don't fall in the trap of imagining these are different books that were thrown into a grab bag. This is all systematic literature. However, within the story, it's almost helpful to think of each book as a character that has specific features, that is dealing with specific concerns within the overall narrative arc of the story. So the differences between the Gospels aren't so much discrepancies in terms of the author's interpretation of an historical event. The differences are purposeful because the authors are trying to convey a teaching. The way that it comes through is the way that it's placed in the context of the literature. The Last time we saw Jesus, he was lamenting that a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Then we had this long 
aside about John the Baptist being executed. They told Jesus about this, and then Jesus went into the desert. We pick up where Jesus had just left his own country because he was not being listened to. People were not interested in his word. And we know that the thing that Jesus does consistently is move on. When there is a problem, when people aren't interested in listening to him, he moves on. He moved from his own country, and now he's going by ship in order to sail away. But we have this important caveat in between about the urgency of this message. The story occurs in two Gospels, in Mark and in Matthew. And in both stories, Jesus is frustrated with the disciples. In Mark, specifically because the disciples understand the mission of Jesus in worldly terms, and that's why he keeps asking them not to say anything, which is interesting in Mark, because he tells the demoniac that he healed, the garrison, he tells him to report what had happened after the herdsmen reported incorrectly what had happened in that story. Here in Matthew, we're also dealing with disciples who are failing Jesus, but because they didn't do the work he asked them to do earlier when he sent them out. In the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark chapter 6, in verse 30, we begin right away with the disciples coming and reporting all that they had done and taught. That doesn't occur here. Now, when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. So it's coming once again on the heels of the murder of John the Baptist, and the fact that the handoff of the baton is to Jesus emphasizes the relationship, as we said last week, between Jesus and Paul. So the Romans shut him up in prison and took his life, but they can't stop his gospel from moving forward. They cannot stop the Roman polity from following Jesus out of the Roman city into a secluded place to hear his teaching. I think that this translation, secluded place, is a problem because the word is erimos, which means desert. He went into the desert, and this is important. King James translates it as desert. And we know once we hear desert, we think of where Jesus went out after his baptism. We think of Moses in the wilderness. This is the place where God reveals his word, is in the desert. We notice that he went from the inhabited place of his own country across the sea to the desert. So he left and he went out into the desert. And so this is important that he leaves the civilization, which comes from city, that relates to exactly what you're saying, Father, the Roman city, and moving out into the desert, away from civilization. And then we hear that the people were following him by foot. People were trying to learn what he was trying to say. So there were some people in this desert who wanted to know what Jesus was teaching, who wanted to follow Jesus, and they were going by foot in order to go find him and hear him. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them and healed their sick. Verse 14 is important because as we move forward in the Matthean rendering of this mashal, we will contrast or see how Matthew contrasts the visceral reaction of Jesus to the need of the flock. Remember that the word compassion in Greek is splanknizome, 
which refers once again, my kids always laugh when I use this word in Greek, Richard, to the splankna. I was doing Mark with them at home and I was translating this word and they all took a two minute pause to laugh about how silly it sounds. It's apropos because it refers to the guts, right? So the kids were laughing about the Greek word for guts, which is where Jesus is feeling this deep compassion. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. A couple of things jump out at me immediately, Richard. How can the place be desolate, albeit the desert, the wilderness, the home of the shepherd who leads his flock, which is what Jesus is doing, leading the flock out of the city? How can it be desolate if the shepherd is there with the instruction? It reminds me of our discussion of the prophet Jonah, how he wasn't abandoned in the depths of the waters because the Torah was with him. It was near him always your companion. The same is true here. But they don't recognize that their only friend and their only companion is the Torah. And so they're complaining that it's desolate and it's late. And instead of caring for the people, which is their duty, the very flock that Jesus had such deep compassion for, they want to send them away. And where do they want to send them? Into the villages. They want to send them back to civilization to buy food for the stomach. And remember that when Jesus sent them out, he told them not to make provision for food or money. It's very interesting. For some reason, the translation you read translates erimos as desolate place. So it does a different translation. But again, it's the desert. So this is a desert. That's the thing that Jesus's disciples say, which of course is funny because Jesus is surely aware that this is a desert. I don't think this is new information. So that's the first thing. And then the other thing that I noticed was, says, let them buy food for themselves. I thought that was interesting. It's for themselves. I was just listening to a podcast, an interview with the Reverend Dr. Willie Jennings, who was talking about the way that we understand Scripture. And one of the most important things is to realize that we are not hosts, we are guests. We are not owners, we are visitors. This really emphasizes the misunderstanding that the disciples have. Let them go buy food for themselves. In any context, but especially an ancient Near Eastern context, if someone is buying food for themselves, they are not your guest. If they are your guest, they will be provided for by the host, namely you. So if they are buying food for themselves, Jesus cannot be the host. They are not the guest. This is how the disciples misunderstand on a very basic level. If they are the guests, they should not be buying for themselves. If Jesus is the host, Jesus will provide. The disciples look and they say, well, Jesus doesn't have anything to provide. He didn't bring any food along with them, as you just said, Father. So how is he going to provide for all these people? How can we save face for Jesus for being a bad host here? Let's quietly let everybody go away so they can buy some food. They do not understand. But as you said, Father, it's here precisely in the wilderness, in the desert, that God provides more than bread. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. This is what he has been saying all along. Again, in Mark, Jesus is saying, please don't talk because you don't know what you're talking about. 
the famed messianic secret is not a messianic secret. It's a teacher telling students who aren't prepared not to speak. But in the case of Matthew, it's Jesus pleading with them to do the work. You feed the people. This is the daily bread from the Lord's Prayer. These people are hungry. Share with them the daily bread, which is the only bread you should be asking for, the bread of the gospel. Why would you send them to get worldly bread? What is your problem? Don't you understand that if you have the gospel in Matthew, you have everything you need for the trip? They said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. And here it's so troubling. The metaphor of their response is deeply troubling because they're admitting that they don't value God's instruction. We have only five loaves. The five loaves, of course, by now our listeners should remember from the Gospel of Mark, refer to the five books of Moses. That is the bread. And the two fish refer to two communities, the Jewish community and the Gentile community. These two communities, that's why in late antiquity, the ichthys, the fish, was the symbol of the meeting place for Christians, because in the Bible, the fish represent the community that gathers to hear the instruction. So you have the Torah, and you have the Jews and the Gentiles, because Jesus has conquered the Romans. What else do you need? The point is, what else do you need? But what they're saying is, this is all we have. It's a huge disconnect, Rich. They are more concerned about what they don't have than what they do have. This is a typical sin of individuals and of communities that cause them not to act, that drives their inaction, because they say, well, all we have is this. We're not ready for this. I mean, I've heard priests say before, oh, we're not ready to serve the poor until we have a bigger building or we have a bigger community. And Jesus says, you have everything you need right there. This is a way of the perfect being the enemy of the good. Five loaves and two fish is all that Jesus needs to feed them. This is all the teaching that's needed for the people to be fed. The worldly bread is nothing to compare with the divine heavenly bread of the teaching that the disciples have been feeding on all this time from Jesus's mouth that they should be willing to and able and eager to distribute among these multitudes. And he said, bring them here to me. In other words, let me do it myself, because you're not getting the message that there's work to do, and you don't understand what the bread that I'm talking about is all about. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve full baskets. The twelve, of course refers to the 12 tribes. And to the extent that the baskets were filled, once you bring together Jew and Gentile in the Pauline Eucharistic Fellowship, the tribes are truly full. 
they're fulfilled in that sense. Now you truly have all the fullness that God desires in the Bible for all the peoples of the earth, beginning with Israel, but ultimately for all the nations of the earth. Israel, of course, in Romans is lifted up as an example of sin, as God's teaching implement to bring everyone into his net, everyone into his flock, and that's why the baskets here are full. Jesus's urgency here, give them to me, everybody sit down, start giving them bread right now. I mean, this is typical Jesus. Someone mentioned in a comment several weeks ago about the impatience of Jesus, Jesus bouncing his knee, ready to move on. Jesus is impatient. Well, Jesus, all we have is these loaves and these fishes. Maybe they should go and buy. Give the food to me. Let's get everybody sitting down and let's get them fed. We got to keep moving. Get them some food now. They don't have time. Get them the teaching. We don't have time. He took it. He asked God to bless the bread and then he gave it. As he asked for the blessing from God, there was plenty for everybody. And they had all these leftovers. Why? Just in case there are more people who come, because you know, in any feast, if there is no food left over, the host is ashamed because somebody might not have gotten enough. Jesus provides as the good host, as the head of the table, with his Father providing everything for the multitudes. There were about 5,000 men who ate, besides women and children. Once again, Matthew is hammering home the point that all the nations are being counted and measured and numbered and divided according to the books of Moses. The 5,000, once again, are a reference to God's instruction, his Torah, his teaching. And the inclusion of women and children is reminiscent of the numbering of the flock in the Old Testament. Whenever you take an accounting of the community, you always include everyone. You go beyond women and children, even to the lowly animals. So Matthew is following that pattern and numbering everyone in the community to emphasize the total hegemony of God's instruction and at the same time, the total care of the entire flock, including those who are weak and vulnerable in the community. At the beginning, Father, you called this the feeding of the 5,000, and the 5,000 is clearly an afterthought. I mean, if there was no verse 21, the story would have been complete. But for some reason, Matthew wanted to add this verse to say that it was 5,000 men in addition to women and children. So this 5,000 must be a significant number, otherwise Matthew would not have wasted his time, because it doesn't add anything to the story itself. It doesn't move along the plot of Matthew. So the fact that it's 5,000 means, first of all, it was a huge number of people that were fed by these five loaves, one loaf per thousand, in addition to what was left over. So it's a huge number. But you could just say it was a huge number, many multitudes. 5,000 is significant because of the number five, and the books of the Torah, as you said before, in addition to the women and children, so that the entire community is included. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.